welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. Certain unassailable truths in our lives. One of those truths is, you are what you eat. The older and older I get, the more and more I realize this is true, as my transformation into a human deep dish pizza is nearly complete. If you are what you eat, I am 90% of the way there to being a dish from Cappy's. Just true. You are what you eat. It It just happens. There's something else that's true that goes along with that, that is in the same realm of things, and that is this. You are who you follow. Uh, to put it another way, there was the, the old movie, Remember the Titans, the football movie. The, the movie with Denzel Washington as the coach, and, and Ed Harris along with them is great. And there's a scene in the movie where, if you don't remember, it's a, a school that's been integrated in Virginia in the 70s, and they're struggling with race among their football team. And the captain of kind of the white players and the captain of the black players are having an argument. And one of them turns to the other and says, attitude reflects leadership captain. Attitude reflects leadership. We are who we follow. And that's true for every one of us, sort of, no matter what our take on life is, no matter what our view of the world is, those people who we look up to, who we admire, are the people who we end up reflecting. So if that's an online business guru, if that's sort of the person that you... Guess what your life is going to start looking like? If you are all about some fitness person... I don't even know the right word for a fitness person, because clearly. But if if that is your hero, that's what you're going to start to act like. That's what you're going to begin to build your life around. If it's some entrepreneur... Your decisions are going to be shaped by what would that person do. If it's a business leader or somebody who has amassed a lot of wealth, if it's some mommy blogger with the best ways to get your kids to go to bed on time, whatever it is, whoever it is that we admire and look up to begins to shape our motives and our affections. Whoever that is. Whether it's somebody good or bad, whatever the case may be, our motives and affections are being shaped by the people that we admire. And what's interesting is our motives and affections also shape who we pick, right? We pick who we admire, then we start looking like them, and then we pick who we admire. It's cyclical in that way. It's it's directional. And so what happens is we end up looking like the people who we follow. Both in the way that we dress, the way that we act, the decisions that we make with our finances, any host of things that are going on, we begin to move towards those who we admire. What's interesting is this is exactly what was happening at the church in the first century in the city of Corinth. The people in the church had Corinth had decided that the leaders that they liked The pastors of their churches that they liked were the guys that were really polished, had the really cool clothes, had had the right stuff going on. They were the wise ones. They were 
to put it in a word, successful. And then you have Paul on the other side of things. The Apostle Paul, who on the outside did not look quite as successful. He was homeless. He had a very, very blue-collar job, and he went city to city talking to people about this guy that got crucified. On the department of success, this guy did not have much going for them. And so the people of Corinth begin to set their affections, begin to have their motives shaped by these new leaders. What's interesting is that we are just like the Corinthians. Our motives, our affections, are shaped by those that we follow. And just like the Corinthians, we here at City Church are shaped much more by stories of success than we are stories of faithfulness to Jesus. We're much more concerned, our eyes are fixed on people who are successful more than people who are faithful. So here's what I want to do. I want to read the fourth chapter of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And as we do that, I'm going to tease out and begin to show how we are fixed and fixated on success as opposed to faithfulness. So if you would, stand as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 4. St. Paul says this, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any other human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us and not go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you do, did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast about it as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share in the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become, and still are, like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. 
That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I am not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago, and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. I tried in my reading to bring out something in this text, which, as you read it, you should see. Paul is being really sarcastic in this text. Paul is like over-the-top character, like bordering on mean sarcasm. Because the people of Corinth, the people who he had helped found in this church, have decided that, that, that they're no longer okay with him. That he no longer has the good stuff because he's not as polished of a speaker. He's not as rich. He's not, he doesn't have the, white, the right robes, right? He has off-brand TJ Maxx robes. These other guys have Burberry of Rome, right? I mean, these people are rejecting him for all of these reasons that he doesn't look successful. And so Paul is sort of coming at them guns blazing, right? So, oh, yes, you, you must have it all together because you're very smart and I'm dumb. And you're very rich and I'm poor. So that's how we should choose leaders. He's setting up sort of this, this dichotomy. He's setting up this tension between the people that the church and Corinth want to follow and the message and way that he came to them. And what he's showing is the same thing that's true in our hearts, which is we want success more than we want faithfulness. Because success is something we believe to be in our control. Because what do you and I think success is the result of? Success is the result of my hard work. Do you want to know why I got the promotion at, at work? Because I worked hard and did a better job than everybody else out there. Do you want to know how I got into the college I got into? To the grad school that I got into? I had better grades because I worked harder than everybody else. You know why my marriage is better than yours? It's because I work at it. You should probably try that. I say that sarcastically, and yet at the same time, how many of us look around us and look at somebody who, who maybe doesn't live in quite as good of a neighborhood as St. Pete as we do? And Well, if they would have bought at the right time, they could live in my neighborhood. If they would have worked harder and chosen a better career... Now, okay, again, that's a little bit over the top. Guys, how do you think of your brother-in-laws? Women, how do you compare yourself to the other moms in your groups? How do you evaluate yourself against your peers at work? You see, what's interesting is all of us focus on success by focusing on our actions. 
And when we begin to do that, the natural result of that is that we begin to judge others. We begin to look at everyone else around us with the glasses, with the spectacles of, are they doing the things that I say are the good things to do? This is exactly what was happening in Corinth, right? The, the whole first part of this chapter is him saying, look, you're trying to tell me whether or not what I'm doing is the right thing. And Paul says, I don't care. Paul says, with Tupac, only God can judge me. Paul says that. Paul says, I don't even judge myself because at the end of the day, how clean my conscience is or not doesn't matter. What matters is what God says about me. It's interesting. A lot of the people who say, only God can judge me, say it with a sort of cavalier attitude. Right? Ah, stop talking to me. Only God can judge me. There's some really deep-seated irony that the people that yell that the loudest are probably the people that should be the most scared of that statement. <laughs> the people that yell, only God can judge me the loudest, are the ones who should look around and go, maybe that's not something I should be excited about. We base our success, our feelings of success, on our actions. And not only that, but we can see our love of success, the way that our motives and desires are pointed that way, by the way that we think of what we deserve. I worked hard. I did the right thing. I put the time in to this relationship, to this family, to this job. I deserve this. I deserve what's coming to me because I have worked really, really hard to get it. And when, when we are following people, when our eyes are fixed on success, what happens is we start to focus on things like wealth and power. We start to worry about our honor. You know, it's interesting. Think about the things that make you angriest, that want to make you get revenge on somebody. That w think about where you want payback. My guess is the places where you want payback are the places where someone has thwarted your success. That's true in my life. And so what happens is, because our eyes are fixated on success, on living up, we end up living our lives with this constant expectation of, I have to be successful, and so I have to constantly keep my guard up so that everybody else around me thinks that I am successful. I have to curate my Instagram profile just right. I have to always be on when the boss is in town. I'm never going to spend all the money in my per diem at work because a good employee doesn't do that and I want that promotion. And so we are forced to live our lives in a way where we are always on. We can never let our guard down. We can never relax. Because successful people don't relax. You know, CEOs read on average 60 books a year. I can barely get through the comics in the Sunday paper on a weekly basis. 
and, and we, you know, we're sort of heaped on these expectations. Well, you know, in your field, you should be doing this by this point. Christians, as a church, we have a really bad way of forcing relationship expectations on people. How old are you again? Mm. Any time that we are holding up these expectations, it gets exhausting. But what's interesting is that we as Christians fall into the trap of focusing on success in this way too. Think about it. If I put in the right actions, then I am deserving of what God should give me, so therefore God should reward me. I did the right thing, therefore I deserve the rewards of God, and here's what I want. I want power. I want wealth. I want success. We take this framework of my actions create a debt of deserving and therefore God owes me. What's interesting is that this has become popular in Christianity in the past 75 years. That if you just obey God well enough, you'll be rich. If you would just do the right thing, you'll be rich. But that's not true, is it? No. In fact, in this passage, what do we see Paul say about himself over and over again? I'm not rich. I'm not powerful. I'm not any of those polished things. Now, most of us, especially those of us who are Christians, who go, yeah, that's crazy talk. If you're a Christian, you're not, it's not a guarantee that you're rich. But how many of us think if I'm a Christian, that guarantees that, that my marriage will work out? How many of us think that since I'm a Christian, my kids are going to turn out okay? See, what happens is we begin to focus on success and what that shows us, that thing that we want God to give us when we do the right thing is actually what we love. That area that we want to be successful in the most is where our motives and our actions are pointing us to. It's the thing that we really worship. And it's interesting because Paul sets up, he says, some of you want success, but I'm telling you the other side of that is faithfulness. He's putting them in contrast to one another. And he says, you are talking a lot about success. I want to talk to you about faithfulness. And faithfulness begins with setting aside your identity making. What is it that makes you, you? A few weeks ago, we talked about this in terms of what's, that, what's your thing? Well, I'm the, you know, I'm the biggest Florida Gators fan in the world. That's sort of my thing, right? I'm the best engineer in this field. I I could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves, right? I'm the best salesman there's ever been. What's your thing, right? Paul saying we have to start to abandon our thing, and what faithfulness looks like. Paul lists out. He says. Faithfulness to Jesus looks like weakness. It looks like foolishness. It looks like poverty. And it's unpolished and uncool. So, here's the pitch for City Church. Do you want to be weak and powerless? Would you like to be poor? 
Would you like to be unpolished and uncool? And would you like to look foolish to your friends around you? If so, please sign up. Not the list of things that we normally expect, is it? And yet Paul says, this is who I am. This is what you get. This is Christianity. It is not a scheme to make you rich. In fact, the opposite. It is not a scheme to make you powerful, despite what people are trying. Christianity is not a way to become cool. It is the dead opposite of those things. I fall into this trap all the time. Right? I, I want to be the pastor in St. Pete who's different. Right? Yeah, 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 there's those other pastors. But that, there's this guy that I see at Bandit sometimes. He's different than those guys. I met him at Green Bench once. He's not like the other ones. And in doing so, I'm choosing success over faithfulness. Think about what Paul lists out. Unpolishedness. Poverty foolishness, and weakness. Which one of those bothers you? Which one of those you go, yeah, I'm okay not being the richest person, but I don't want to look like an idiot. You know, I'm fine looking like an idiot, but I don't want to be poor. I at least want people to know that I'm articulate. I at least want to have the power to change my life or my children. Which one of those things bothers you when I say that this is what Christianity is like? Because that begins to diagnose what you see as true success. If you say, I'll take anything, just don't make me weak, your vision of success is power. If you say, it's okay if I am dumb and people think that I'm dumb and I can't speak, but I want a little bit of money, your vision of success well, wherever we find ourselves, what this passage shows us is that our hearts are all drawn to a picture of success that we've made in our head, which should push us to Jesus. And it's interesting as we read this passage, the picture that it gives us. As he lists out, as Paul lists out the different qualities of what he is doing, the different ways he's doing ministry, it's interesting because he's drawing a picture for us of Jesus on the cross. Jesus set aside the power that he had and in weakness was nailed to a cross. Jesus was sent outside of the city as the scum of the earth, as Paul says. He was naked and homeless as he was nailed to the cross. He gave up his power and strength and lived in poverty to the day that he was killed. Church, it should be a little bit shocking every once in a while that our Savior is a guy that was killed naked on a cross by Roman soldiers. That the power of the gospel doesn't begin with success, but with seeming failure. That our life is not about our actions and what we deserve. Because what Jesus was doing on the cross was taking all of the punishment you deserve for worshiping your vision of success. 
He took that on himself so that he could give us all of the goodness that he deserved. You see, the cross is a great exchange. It's the exchange of my shame for his freedom. It's the exchange of my guilt for his clean conscience. Of my sin for his grace. And it's not something we can earn. It's not a privilege that we can work our way into. It's one that we just have to receive. What's interesting is we begin, as we begin to see that, as we begin to see that there is nothing in our life that we have not been given, that there is nothing spiritually that we have that came from our hard work, it begins to change us. Because right in the middle of the passage, Paul sort of lays out the way that he acts and the way that he's calling us to act. He says, when we are reviled, when people say all sorts of stuff about us, do we respond by cursing? No, we respond by blessing. How different is that from our lives, from my life? When someone says something nasty about me, do you know what I do? I bow up. Right? Who, who, you don't know me. You don't know my life. Right? And I immediately begin looking for the flaw that I'm going to attack them truth of my life. When somebody honks at you, is your immediate response, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm not the best driver, I must have made a mistake, I'm so sorry. No, your immediate response is to look at their car, yeah, well, your blinker's been on for three three and a half blocks. Our response is to self-justify and make them worse. You know that Jesus is beginning to work in your life when you are reviled, and instead of cursing, you bless. When you are slandered, and instead of returning and getting revenge on that person, all of a sudden, you speak kindness to them. See, the only way that we can have this sort of change, a change that takes us from wanting to be successful and accepts that maybe we won't be, that maybe there is something better than that. The only way we begin to see that change is when we begin to embrace the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Jesus. Scum of the earth, taken outside a city, killed in weakness for you and for me. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that we chase after success. Whether it's financial success and wealth, whether it's having the relationship that we want, that we feel justifies us, whether it's being the right kind of parent or the person who gets all the right promotions, Jesus, we chase after and worship those things. We are grateful that you know this about us. That this doesn't shock you. That you are not in amazement, but rather, you died for just those things. And that you do not shame us. That you do not tell us that we should be ashamed of ourselves and hold our heads down. But rather, in spite of the ways that we have worshipped so many other things, you invite us to your table. You smile. 
and say, come, taste and see that I am good.